Welcome to the Talk of the T-Town podcast, where we discuss all things track cycling. Broadcasting from the Valley Preferred Cycling Center, I'm your host and executive director, Joan Hanscom. Welcome to the Talk of the T-Town podcast. I'm your host, Joan Hanscom, and this week I am delighted to have with me Skylar Samuelson Espinoza, who the last time I saw her was still just Skylar Espinoza. Um, so things have happened since we last saw Skylar. Um, but Skylar is a very fascinating guest for us to have on the pod this week. So a little background on our guest. Um, she has an advanced degree in Russian studies, um, speaks some Russian, if I'm not mistaken, uh, is a graduate of Stanford University, um, and uh, also comes from a very uh, uh, varied athletic background, uh, where she she rode for Stanford in the uh, varsity lightweight eight. If that's was that the that correct? Yes. Um, and so you come from a, a background of rowing, uh, and you've become uh, quite the proficient track cyclist. Um, and you do all kinds of great things. So. Previously, Skyler was the uh, co- assistant coach of the lightweight uh, team at Stanford and now works for Strong Girls United Foundation, which we're going to dive into later in the podcast. So I am very thrilled to welcome to the pod our very accomplished guest, Skylar Samuelson Espinoza. Welcome, Skylar. Thank you so much for, Joan, for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm very excited. I'm a little nervous. This is my first time appearing on a podcast. So I'm very honored and thank you for having me. I think this is really fun because um, the number of guests I've had on the podcast who are like, oh, this is my first podcast. It's, <laughs> I feel like a lot of people are like learning how to pod with me and it's pretty exciting. Um, <laughs> but we're gentle. We don't bite on the Talk of the T-Sound pod. So it's a good it's a good place to learn. Um, and plus, we have a very friendly uh, audience. I think everybody, you know, the track community is such a good community of supportive people. And so everybody listening is just stoked to hear from their friends. Um, <laughs> and so I think you have nothing to fear my friend. Um, I did just do a, a really fun one um, with Amara from the Jerry Baker uh, Velodrome. And it was also her first podcast. And, yeah. uh, it, Actually, at the end, she was it. like, this was really fun. And we should do it again. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, we totally should. And same with Kim Zubris. When we had Kim Zubris on, she was like, it was fun. We should do it again. So, so um, I think once you get into it, it's, it is a fun thing to do because it's always good. You always learn new things about people you think you know. And I think that's... Uh, that's part of the fun of the podcast. So let's start off with the last time I saw you in August, you were Skylar Espinosa, and now you are Skylar Samuelson Espinosa. So how was the wedding? Was it fun? Yeah, yeah. So I guess like my, you know, wedding journey has been long and convoluted. Um, so my maiden name is actually Skylar Samuelson. Um, now I'm like going by all of my married names. Um, and the wedding was amazing. And we were really lucky to be able to get it in. Nobody got covid um, and it was at a summer camp that I grew up going to in New Hampshire. So it was beautiful. And oh, was, no way. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. Oh, I didn't realize you were, uh, doing, did your wedding in New Hampshire. I grew up in New Hampshire. Oh, no so, way. What else? Yeah. I grew up in Manchester. So oh, cool. yeah, it was near. So Keith. where was your kid? Oh, fun. Yeah. Is, it's beautiful on the, on that side of the state. Um, how fun that makes it even more fun to hear about. Yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't been back in a while. Uh, to New Hampshire and I miss it. It's uh, it's really pretty in a different 
rugged kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in Maine. So I feel like I can, I can sense that from you, a kindred New England spirit. There we go. See, yeah. New Englanders always, always find each other. It's uh, and now we're both California people, which is yeah. also quite exciting. I think I've discovered that I should have moved here a long time ago. I think <laughs> <laughs> like, why did I wait so long to move here? It's great here. Um, I'm, we're not actually far apart, which is kind of cool as well. Uh, so you are right up the road. I'm in Santa Cruz and you are up the road in yeah. Palo Alto and and so, yeah, we'll have to ride bikes at some point yeah. when, yeah. when the rain stops, <laughs> maybe yeah, the rain's going to stop. Yeah. The first time I came to California, I was like, I don't know why I didn't move here sooner. It's crazy. That's really nice. Yeah. Every day I go out and walk along the, along West Cliff in my mm-hmm. neighborhood. And I think, why do, did I wait so long to move here? <laughs> <laughs> like I've been missing out. Um, but um, anyway, so your wedding was great and that's cool. And now I know that you're a fellow New Englander, which I like even better. And um, so here we are, we are doing this um, right before New Year's. And who would have thought um, when we first started doing the Talk of the T-Town podcast, it was in the f- very first parts of COVID. Um, and we thought, well, we're going to do this podcast to, um, uh, you know, get get the community together when we can't be together. And it's, it's going to be a thing. And if I'm not mistaken, you are actually possibly episode 52 like you are like you are well now we are well into COVID we did not expect I think to still be doing it and still have this be a thing and yet here we are going into a new year um still in the COVID times and so how is that impacting you Skylar how is that how is that impacting your training how is that impacting your planning for the 22 season how is it still impacting us all. Um, And it's funny because I think, you know, COVID has come in a rise at the same time that I've kind of gotten into track cycling. Um, I haven't been riding for very long. I really only started racing in 2019, which is, which, you know, there wasn't really any racing that season. And I was so grateful to you and to T-Town. Like I came out actually in 2019 and raced a bunch of time trials that summer, um, which is kind of all that anybody could do. And I actually got a lot of racing experience that summer. It wasn't mass start racing. It it didn't look the same as a normal summer, but it was still really valuable for me to um, come out to the track and learn how to, you know, set up my bike and change my gears and kind of all those things in a really welcoming, um, kind of quiet environment. There wasn't, you know, a lot going on and it was really special for me and and really valuable that, you know, T-Town was still able to offer that racing. Um, and then it was like kind of like a gentle build to then I got to come out again for a couple of months in 2020. And I kind of already knew my way around and knew where the bathrooms were and like new things when, you know, there was a lot more people and a lot more opportunities to kind of race master um, stuff, but definitely COVID still has a lot of uncertainties, right. Um, in terms of planning and scheduling, but I feel really lucky that I'm not, you know, a swimmer or something like I've just been able to ride my bike throughout COVID as, as a way to kind of stay mentally, you know, healthy. And, um, I've been able to do a lot of my training, um, kind of uninterrupted, which has been really nice. Yeah. It's funny. You know, I stopped going to the gym with the whole COVID thing and, I just started going back to the gym and I was all excited. I was starting to like lift heavy things that weren't in my living room. And (laughs) 
And now I feel like, ah, oh, gosh, I don't know. Maybe yeah. going to the gym right now is not the thing. And so it's it's funny how there's just those little things that impact like your training. So I think I'm I'm back to my one sad kettlebell in my living room for a, for a few weeks, and yeah. and then we'll then we'll try going back into to the to the gym again after this current wave of not so great passes or hopefully it passes. But other than that, it has, you're right. Being a cyclist is nice because generally speaking, the outdoors has been a safe space. So uh, yeah, we've been able to keep pedaling and, and that's good for mind and body, I think. So, um, so tell us a little bit about your background. So clearly you have a big brain, Russian studies, not, (laughs) um, not, you know, a slacker um, major by any stretch of the imagination. Tell us about that. Tell us about why Russian studies. Yeah. um, So I went to college, I went to undergrad at Columbia University in New York. um, And I just kind of stumbled into a Russian literature class. And I ended up being a Russian literature major, basically because the woman who was running the class, like didn't speak very good English. And so I told her I was interested in the class and she thought I was interested in the major. So (laughs) that's amazing. Getting signed up for the major, like kind of on accident. Um, But as like a college freshman, I was like, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was like, well, I guess this is like fine. Um, and I ended up with these like four very old, like Russian women who took care of me during college and took me out for tea and it was amazing. And and I felt like a home. Um, and then I got to explore lots of other things, you know, as well, because the major wasn't super like extensive, like pre-med or something like that. Um, it allowed me to see a lot of, you know, parts of the city I wouldn't have seen. I spent a lot of time in Brighton Beach, which is like a Russian speaking neighborhood in, in the city. Um, so that was really fun in New York. Um, and then in New York, I also walked on to the rowing team at Columbia. Um, Cause my Russian teacher was like, you are very competitive in class. I think you need a different outlet. So Amazing. that's how I kind of found the rowing team at Columbia. Uh, I just fell in love with rowing and really also fell in love with the community of women who support each other, like through sports, um, which is huge for me. And I kind of graduated from college knowing that I wanted to either be an athlete or work in women's sports in some capacity. Um, so then I decided to get my master's degree at Stanford, um, mostly to row, but also to go to school some more. Nice. Um, And so that's how I kind of, you know, then started rowing at Stanford. Um, And then I eventually got that job, you know, coaching at Stanford. Um, And then, you know, I also met my now husband there and he's the one who kind of introduced me to cycling. Um, And I I forget what that question was. (laughs) Oh, no, you're you're actually doing it. You're you're right there because we're on this this path of, of, of tell us about Skylar. That's super cool, actually, that it was your, one of your Russian teachers that got you into rowing. Yeah, Um, totally. That's, that's pretty amazing. I went to Boston University where um, the rowing program is obviously a big deal. Um, You know, for all, all schools in Boston, I think the rowing program is a big deal. And um, I remember as a freshman, somebody approached me because I'm tall. And I think, you know, when you, when you're a tall girl, they think you're going to be a good person to have on the rowing team and so I I I remember talking to them and and then they were like yeah we're out on the river at 5 a.m and I was like (laughs) bye-bye like that sounds really cold and I don't like that I mean now I get up at five every day and I train and whatever but 5 a.m out on the Charles River was not something that I ever thought my body could handle I was like no no that sounds way too cold for me Uh, but 
but more power to you for doing it because I remember just like being like, no, 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 no. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for asking, but I'm not, not interested. <laughs> well, that's what's so great about rowing in California. Yeah, I can, right. You don't get the freezing cold Charles, Charles River is uh, not, not quite the thing. Although it's been quite chilly here lately, I will say. Yeah. So, uh, so that's cool. So then you, you came to Stanford to go to school and work on your degree, but also row. And we, you met your now husband who introduced you to the bike. And so I would assume he was not a track cyclist. Correct. Yeah. So you got introduced to road cycling. Yeah, he was a triathlete at the time, and now he just kind of rides more bikes. Um, but I had a back surgery at the end of um, kind of my rowing career while at Stanford. Um, and then that I was hoping to pursue rowing at a higher level. Um, and then at the time, the back surgeon was like, you should probably take a couple of years off from rowing to kind of let the injury and the surgery heal. Um, and so I started riding bikes more like during PT to kind of recover from the injury. And I just fell in love with riding bikes. Um, and nice. then I was kind of in this limbo period, um, right after I graduated from Stanford and I have, um, family that works at Nike and they hooked me up with a sports physiologist who works at Nike and maybe do kind of like all these sports physiology tests. And I was like, I'm interested in being an athlete. I'm not really picky about like which sport, but like, what do you think I would be good at? Um, where's my aptitude? <laughs> where's yeah. Where can I kind of find a niche? Um, and he recommended track cycling as like, I'm more of like a sprint kind of like fast twitch muscle person, um, gotcha. rather than like a long person, but, um, I still feel very new to cycling. I love track cycling. Um, and I think I'm still, you know, I'm open to more disciplines of cycling, cycling in the future. Um, but I just fell in love with, um, you know, kind of the speed of track cycling and the feel of it and the community. Um, I love something I love about the track is that you can do workouts on the track, like I've done workouts with like Mandy Marquardt and like, we're on the track at the same time. And that's something that you can't get on the road as much. Cause like I get dropped right. by people. So I love that. Like people of all levels can like be on the track at the same time. And then you can learn from people and, and just like gather in a way that you, that you can't in, in some other forms of cycling. So I love that about track. And, um, I also something coming from rowing that's just blown me away about cycling in general is like the strategy. Um, right. Like there's no, yeah. you just like go hard and then you go harder and then you go harder. <laughs> right. right. So, yeah. Exercising my brain has been really fun. Like, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that you've seen, like, I'm not the best technical rider yet. Cause I think sometimes I just want to like work really hard right from the start and pull everybody around. Um, but you know, learning like when to go and kind of the lulls of the racing has been so fun for me and, and been really great to kind of exercise my brain some more. Yeah, that's a, it's, it's funny. People don't necessarily, broadly speaking about cycling, people don't understand that it's a, it's a thinking sport, right? Because there are tactics and there are strategies. And uh, right. one of our very, very early guests that we had when we first started doing the the podcast actually said that that was one of the things that she really appreciated about when when she started racing on the track was her, it improved her her cycling more broadly um, because the track cycling happened so fast that she had to learn to develop those decision making skills like split second um, and that that was such a, a key piece of development for her was track cycling as as it did force that sort of like wicked fast like assess 
and react type of thing where you, you just had to sort of hone that decision-making process into a flash. And I thought it was a really interesting observation that, you know, on the, like she made it sound like, well, on the road, then everything happens sort of slower and, <laughs> you know, you're able to, you're able to like sort of see things happening as they unfold. And she very much chalked that up to track cycling and, and how yeah. fast it all transpires. So I have no doubt that, you know, a couple more seasons under your belt, you'll be, you'll be uh, laser quick too in your decision-making. <laughs> but it was funny talking to um, Elspeth Hewitt about her, her, win at nationals this year and how what her thought process was and you know i i could i was watching you know i was up on top of the judges stand so i was watching the whole race unfold and and i could see the whole thing unfolding and see what was happening as they went into turn three for that last on the last lap and and it was so interesting to hear what her thought process mm -hmm. was going into turn three based on and versus what I was seeing on the track. Yeah. And it was super cool to see it all sort of like what I was observing with my eyeballs was what was actually happening in her head. And it was super cool, but you know, to go through that thought process of what that last lap was like was pretty, uh, it's pretty interesting. So, um, I, yeah, I think, you know, people just assume that on the track, you just, it's just like rowing you smash it go hard and turn left and it, there's more to it than that for sure I mean except maybe in the pursuit and then you just smash it hard and turn <laughs> left but <laughs> but that's funny because that first season you were at t-town that's essentially all you were doing like I remember you were coming out and you're doing the you know the the 4k pursuit you were doing all the all the the distance events and we I remember everybody going who who's that she's fast um <laughs> But that, because uh, like you weren't, you know, you weren't an East Coast cyclist person. So we're all like, who's that person who's going real fast in the, in the, in the pursuits? So the, that has to be a, a big engine translation from all the rowing years. So it's interesting yeah. though. So what did the, uh, what else did the Nike sports performance person tell you? Um, it was like cycling or cross-country skiing were kind of like my two choices. And I did, I don't know if you grew up cross-country skiing, but um, I definitely did. And I raced in middle school a little bit, but um, I guess the thing now is you kind of have to move to Europe, which I think you do for cycling too, to some capacity, um, but there's not enough snow really here anymore. Um, yeah, unless you live in Minnesota or Wisconsin, right? I think yeah. that's where all the the good US people come from now is, yeah. is Minnesota. Um, it's funny, I it's funny that you say that because my middle school, middle school I went to, we had a big park across the street where they would take us outside for gym class at winter time and make us cross country ski in the big park. And I just remember <laughs> thinking this is the most horrible, hardest thing I've ever done. Like I hated it. And now as a grown up, I love it so much. Like I love cross country skiing and I love how hard it is because it is really hard. Um, and I love that about it. But I remember in middle school, like I thought it was like, oh God, I hate this so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how as you develop right as an athlete like that that I hate it so much this is hard becomes oh I love this this is hard <laughs> like um, yeah yeah that was the gym class I hated the most was when we had to go out and cross-country ski in, in in the park across the street from school I was like oh god this is hard <laughs> maybe it's because I didn't like being cold either um but but yeah so that's uh that's uh that's funny the funny transition so you are working with uh, Jenny Reed coaching. Is that still the case? Yeah. Yeah. 
so because it's New Year's and we're all talking about what our plans are for 22, what are your plans for 22? What is it looking like for you as far as we can all pro- prognosticate at these weird COVID times? Yeah. Um, so Jenny and I um, have made, um, I've been working with Jenny since I started racing. Um, shout out to her. I love working with her. Um, she just has like so much experience and that was really important for me yeah. um, because you know, as, and she was really great with me as a brand new writer. I was like, I don't even know what a chain ring is. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know anything. Um, and it was great for her. You know, she, she was just so patient with me and has really, you know, taken me from ground zero to like where I am now. Um, and, um, I guess our goals for 2022 are to really focus on the pursuit. Um, I, I want to, you know, I had such fun racing the mass start stuff and I still want to, you know, do that as well. Um, but I do have national team aspirations and I'm hoping to kind of like get a really fast pursuit time this year. Um, I'm going to be traveling to LA every month, um, you know, kind of nice. still training to get some more time on the 250 and, and get a good benchmark there. Um, and then of course, like nationals is, is my, you know, big focus also as well for 2022. Um, you know, this, past year was my first nationals. Um, and I think like, I, I loved it. It was super, it was also super overwhelming. I think I got like pretty nervous, um, around the national. So I think I'm going to really looking forward to 2022 to have, you know, one under my belt and kind of know what it feels like. Um, and back at D-Town. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be like a, a familiar place for you. So yeah. that's cool too. And that was, a that was a bit of a surprise to all of us. Um, <laughs> When when USA Cycling called and said, "Hey, you know, would you be interested in hosting again?" We said yes, of course. But uh, yeah, so back to a familiar place for you, which is hopefully hopefully good luck on the new track surface, which is hopefully going to be faster and smoother, and hopefully doesn't have that big uh, whoop de turn in whoop de bump in turn three, and uh, you know, hopefully it uh, makes for faster times for y'all. But uh, yeah, that's exciting, and that the stuff going down LA and the and the national team aspirations. Um, talk a little bit about that. Like what, what time do you know, what type of times you have to put up to be national team eligible? Uh, is that, have those standards been published? Do you have a ballpark? Do you sort of know what you're looking at? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping like kind of when we talk about Jenny, when we talk to Jenny about like, uh, you know, a benchmark is kind of around the 340 time for that pursuit, um, which is pretty speedy. Um, and I'm right around like a 354 right now. Um, and so that's, you know, a pretty significant chunk for me. And I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, I still am seeing really big gains from being like pretty new in the sport. So, um, you know, I think obviously I, I love setting big goals and like, I want to go after them really hard, but, um, you know, it's going to take a lot of work. Um, so that's kind of the time standard that I'm hoping to kind of hit. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, that's, that's cool. So as you change your focus from or refocus on mm-hmm. the, the pursuit stuff, because like we said, the first year you were at T-Town, it was all we did was pursuits. So yes. you clearly put a lot of those, those uh, miles in the legs. Um, and, and as you sort of defocus the mass start stuff, how does your training change? Um, so what are you doing now? I mean, obviously this is the time of year where we're all putting in uh, the, the quote unquote off season work. Um, what's that look for you now that, that you have a different, sort of set of goals for yourself. 
Yeah, totally. Um, I think my training this year, I mean, has been different because also, um, this is the first year in a while that I'm not working a full-time job. Um, and I decided to leave Stanford this past year, um, because I wanted, and and I'm, I feel really lucky that, you know, now I have a a partner who has a full-time job now and I can have a part-time job and we can kind of make it work. Um, it was a lot of work, right? Like I was, (laughs) I was in the boathouse at 4.30 AM for the athletes to get there at 5 AM. Um, and that, full-time coaching, um, you know, of any sport is, is a huge undertaking. Um, and not only, you know, time-wise, but emotionally. So the transition from, you know, the full-time to more part-time work has been huge in terms of being able to allow me to just have more hours in the day. Um, so I've been able to put in a couple of really good, big endurance blocks, um, this fall. And it's been a lot of riding outside, a lot of just long hours, um, kind of aerobically on the bike. And then this winter, um, we're gonna start doing more intensity. It'll be a lot of like two to five minute efforts on the trainer. Um, just a lot of like kind of intensity on the trainer. Um, then at the track in LA, um, every month, probably for like a week, um, just trying to get that effort that like, you know, three to four minute effort dialed. So I'm curious because you're a coach who's being coached and, and how does that, so, I mean, I've, I've never been a coach, obviously I am, but I am a coached athlete. I mean, essentially my whole life, how, how does being a coach impact how you interact with a coach? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And I think it was really healthy for me to be in a different, different sport from my athletes. Um, I think that I wasn't ever trying to be competitive with them or I wasn't trying to, you know, I think that it, it allowed my brain to kind of separate the two when I was thinking about cycling versus rowing. Um, but I think that it was it made me a more coachable athlete because I, Interesting. <laughs> the amount of times that I was just like, or something like my athletes just like, wouldn't like not understand a technical change I was asking them to make. And I was like, why are you not like making it? It seems so obvious to me, um, right. As the coach. And then to understand that, like, okay, like this change that Jenny's asked me to make, or this thing that she's asking me to do, like it might be difficult for me, but like, I, I know how to communicate better to say like, Hey, I'm not understanding this because of this reason. Or like, I, I need you to, to explain it to me a different way or something like that versus just like this kind of block that sometimes I would hit with athletes, um, by saying like, I need you to do this. And they're like doing something completely different. And it just, it gets frustrating as a coach to say like, you're not doing this the way that I want you to, but maybe that's cause, you know, as a coach, I haven't explained it well enough, or there's some another, like, um, you know, something else that's going on that I don't know about as a coach. Yeah, that's super interesting to me that it's the coach within a coach or a coach being coached. Oh, I just it has to be an interesting dynamic um, that would inform how you interact. I, it's got to, you know, a, it's almost like a peer to peer thing, but it's still a coached athlete thing. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm overthinking that, but, no, I, but I think I, it's got to be, yeah. it's got to be cool. I mean, it's got to, it's got to help inform everything, you, you know, how you approach your communication with your coach, which is so key. Yeah. And I think it, it also really informed how I communicated with my athletes um, and kind of what I knew worked for me and, and, you know, saying something as simple as like, hi, like, can I give you some feedback right now? Um, which is something that Jenny says to me that I love because it, it just prepares you for the feedback or like it gives you the option to say like, yes or no. Um, and, you know, everybody always says yes, but it just gives you the option to, to open the door for that feedback. Um, and then also, you know, things like 
I know when my athletes haven't had a snack in a while, they might be grumpy or like when, you know, they're haven't gotten a lot of sleep because we're on a travel day or like reminding them to kind of like roll out in the airport or things like that. Like as an athlete and, and a current athlete, you just have like, you're more tuned into um, those kinds of things than I think some other coaches might be because they are away from athletics for a long time. Right. That distance as they, as they step away from the experience themselves. Yeah. Interesting. So you are not with Stanford anymore. You are now with Strong Girls United Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, you are doing mentoring. Is that the, the, the correct description of what yeah. you do with them? Yeah. Talk a little bit about this because I think mm-hmm. it sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so I've been working or been associated with Strong Girls United for um, the last two years. Um, I started volunteering with them while I was still at Stanford, um, kind of looking for a different way to give back to the athletic community. Um, and I started working as a mentor in their female athlete mentorship or FAM program. Um, and it's a program that pairs um, a couple elite, but mostly collegiate female athletes one-on-one with an elementary or middle school age girl for the school year. Um, and we do um, like kind of mental skills and mindfulness and a lot of physical activity and it's all virtual, like over zoom. Um, but it just allows like girls to meet an athlete. They, and a lot of times we're able to like pair people up with the sport. So we have a lot of like basketball mentors and soccer mentors, and, um, they're able to meet a young, like soccer player and kind of inspire them in that way. And then, so this year I'm working with strong girls United to help run this program. So I'm both working as a mentor in the program, but I'm also helping run um, the mentorship program. Um, It's funny, this year, one of my mentees is Cadence, Amara's daughter. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, Um, she's so sweet. I love love working with her. That's super cool. Well, you know, I'm on the board of the Amy D Foundation, Mm -hmm. um, which I don't know if you know who Amy was, but um, she and I were friends and, you know, she died very tragically in a crash in Belgium. And uh, the foundation is very much about, you know, uh, empowering female cyclists to, you know, chase their dreams um, or big dreams, you know, via bicycle. And I almost wonder if there isn't an opportunity for us there to like, you know, offline, not part of the podcast, explore some opportunities between the organizations um, because the missions do seem to, you know, really be, something that could be mutually supportive so it's kind of cool to hear you talk about it um but and then I think about oh what is this something Amy D could be doing the Amy D foundation could be you know a part of or somehow be engaged in and sort of help each other scale or something but uh yeah very very cool uh very cool program and I think uh something that when you were way back in the first part of this conversation when you were saying I knew I wanted to you know I wanted to be an athlete um, and that was part of, you know, sort of how you were wired. The fact that you found a place where you're able to share that now with the next generation of, of female athletes is pretty cool. And uh, yeah, yeah I feel so lucky. I mean, it's, it's kind of so perfect, the perfect setup for me right now that it's, you know, virtual and remote and uh, I have really flexible hours in terms of, you know, helping run the program. Um, and it's helping me be able to kind of pursue my dreams and live out my dreams. Um, so that's awesome. Um, I feel really lucky and the org's doing really good things. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, as, as, as I was reading about it before we got on, on the call today, I was like, Oh, this, this sounds super cool. Like I've seen you on your Instagram stuff, you know, post about it, but, um, hadn't really had the opportunity or time to dig into it. Um, 
more. And, and as I did, I was like, oh, wait a second, this is actually super cool. So, um, so yeah, right on. Good for you. What else is going on? Um, we've got nationals as a big goal. Uh, what else? What else is, what else is in the uh, Skylar playbook for 22? Um, or, or, or are you totally just totally track focused now? Is that a, is that taking up all of your bandwidth for, for, for Skylar time? Yeah. I mean, I think that I am really looking forward to taking advantage of this year in terms of that, you know, one of my kind of vision goals for this year was to find a setup that allowed me to train and race more full time. Um, and I was really lucky to be able to accomplish that goal. Um, so I am really excited to kind of capitalize on the flexibility that I now have. And, um, you know, that I am also kind of being paid to have this flexible schedule is, is so amazing. And I'm so lucky that, you know, if Jenny says like, Hey, I'd love you to go to LA this weekend. I can say, yes, I'm going to drive down there. Um, and if, you know, opportunity comes up to race, you know, whether that's, you know, in Seattle or Canada or, you know, something like that, I can say like, yes, I'm going to be there. Um, and I, I think that, you know, while I am going to focus on the pursuit this year, I still would love to do, you know, mass start racing and then hopefully race, you know, some more, I'm probably going to race some early season crits in California. Um, so I, I think just, I'm really looking forward to being able to take advantage of being a little bit more flexible and, um, just learning more and taking in a lot more experiences and, and kind of, yeah, making myself a, a better racer and a better rider. So you said, um, your vision board, right? That was, a. do you, so, uh, when I've done that in the past, which I am not doing in, in 2022, I'm going to be delightfully vision free. Um, <laughs> I've done that in conjunction with working with a sports psychologist. Um, is that something you do as your coach or is that something you do as a sports psychologist? Um, my vision goals are something I've come up with, um, with my coach. Um, but I'm also working with a sports psychologist, um, now, which I, you know, I've had ongoing issues with, um, kind of my back after my back surgery. I've also had some kind of like nerve damage issues. Um, I had a concussion in 2019. So I've kind of dealt with a lot of injury and a lot of kind of chronic pain, um, management. So that was one of the reasons I started working with a sports psychologist, um, was to kind of keep managing my relationship to like pain in my body. Um, but also I do think that you know, with national team aspirations, um, hopefully with, you know, being able to race internationally at some point, um, I am putting a lot of pressure on myself. So it's been nice to be able to, it's been really great to be able to talk to sports psychologists too, about, you know, kind of how to manage, um, cycling life balance and, and to keep kind of a healthy relationship to the process, um, as I kind of go for those big goals. Yeah. I, I, I found that it was an incredibly useful thing to do. Um, like yourself, I, I started working with a sports psychologist after a big crash in 2015, mm -hmm. um, where, you know, I, I had a, a very bad concussion, I really bad shoulder injury, very bad collarbone break. Like it was outside. Um, like it was not inside my body. It was outside my body. Um, but the, the concussion part was really the part that, you know, I, I tried to force myself back into riding and racing far too quickly after my shoulder healed and did, did some real damage to myself from a sort of like a rewiring my brain for anxiety um, because I pushed through a, a concussion that I shouldn't have pushed through. Um, and it took 
many years with a sports psychologist to unwire that that anxiety piece of the puzzle that was a result of that crash. And and over time, I found that it shifted from working on anxiety with her to to doing all those things, right? Like how you manage the stress, how you manage, um, you know, balance, how you keep perspective, how things don't become outsized problems in your head, and but also yeah. just really how to how to create the goals and how to how to strive for them in a healthy way. So I'm very pro sports psychology. I think it's such an important piece of the puzzle, especially you know as a person like myself who's who's had issues with eating disorders too, just like making sure that you stay like really focused on what your goals are, but in a healthy way um, is I think so key. And so I'm very, but when you said, when you said that, I was like, oh, there's gotta be sports psychology in there somewhere. And I just, I think that's one of those topics that, you know, it's important for people to talk about. And certainly with people who are gonna be competing at your level, um, you know, the pressures are enormous. And like, I'm just middle-aged lady racer and the pressures were, that I put on myself were enormous. So the pressures at, at that elite level are very, very, very high. And I think it's so important for people not to fear that the sports psychology, that it's actually such a good and empowering thing. Um, and it can really clarify those goals. So that's cool. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. funny, like they're just like left out of me when you said it. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that with me. I, I appreciate that. And I also, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. Um, concussions are literally the worst. I've had seven. Um, yeah and you know they get every time you get one they get a little worse so um yeah but it's a but I think again it's something that's so important for for us to talk about openly right you know that that you know be careful when you get the concussion because it can be way more than just a headache and the ramifications can last a long time if you don't address them right up front like I didn't you know and and, um I remember I was in the hospital for four days after the crash and they kept asking me if I wanted pain for my shoulder and for the collarbone. And I just kept telling them I just had a headache. I didn't need, you know, I didn't need narcotics, but boy, was I suffering with a headache and they never made a recommendation for a neurologist. They never made a recommendation to to seek follow-up treatment for the head injury, but they, man, they were pushing those opioids. And I was just like, I don't need them. Like the pain in my shoulder is fine. I just, my head is like, and they didn't, and I was really mad at the medical, yeah. you know, community for not saying, "Hey, you know, you should probably see a specialist for this concussion that you had," um, because it is bad. And so, one of the things we did with the kids in the Team T Town program is we got them all baseline tested, and we, you know, made sure we connected them with LVHN's concussion center. And you know, it's, awesome. it's one of those things where having been through it, you know, you know, it can be really. Uh, can do a number on you. So one, again, one of those things that I think is really important to just have open conversations about that there's no stigma about it. And there's no, you know, there's no pressure to return before you should return kind of thing. It's, you know, and as you as a coach, I'm sure you dealt with that with your athletes trying to come back too soon, too fast and never works out well. Yeah. Never, yeah. Yeah. And I was so lucky, you know, to have Jenny as well in that, in that time that, you know, she checked in on me every day for like two months. Um, and that was, it was amazing. And it was just, you know, she kind of went into also like mama bear mode to me, but also like, right. To have someone on your team who's been through, you know, something like, like you've been through, like, 
who knows how serious it can be. Right. I have just a huge benefit of being able to work with her and and to be able to have that experience when I don't have to go through that experience myself. Yeah. Best not to have to learn it firsthand (laughs) if if, if you can avoid it. Um, yeah, that's super cool. Um, so are you you planning to be back at T-Town for the UCI stuff? Yes. Yeah. In the cards. Nice. Yeah. I'm hoping to, yeah, go ahead. A little, uh, a T-Town, a T-Town, uh, UCI, you know, like appetizer for your national championships is uh, <laughs> yeah. the way to go. It'll be funny though, because uh, I don't think Elspeth is going to be racing. She said she's hanging up the wheels, and so you won't have you won't you'll be down one buddy, one race buddy. I know, um, I know. It's gonna make it's make me very sad. Um, she and I have become like close friends, and it was really fun to you know be able to race with her. And I I feel really lucky that I got to you know kind of in her her last official season. I'm sure that she'll be back. Yeah to dip her toes a little bit. I um, hope so. Hope yeah, so. I'm, I'm sure that she will. So yeah. And she, and was, she was a Jenny Reed athlete too, right? In the same coaching group. Yeah. So she was coached by Taylor Crane, who's Jenny's, you know, kind of assistant or co co coach. Um, but yeah, that also made it easy for us. We did some workouts together last summer. Um, cause Jenny and Taylor would talk and, and that was really fun. Yeah. That's super cool. I, I, I was very impressed with that whole, um, sense of community building that that Jenny builds with her athletes that yeah. it's uh that that you guys are very connected um and I think that that's probably translates now into how you're going to work with your with your role with uh with the strong girls uh, you know that that creating support not not controversy or conflict you know mm-hmm. where it's 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 you know I, I think I say this as a person who's older than you so um you know, we, we weren't really taught how to compete. Um, you know, we, we, boys, boys just sort of know how to leave it on the field. You play hard on the field and then you walk off the field and you don't carry that with you. Um, but I think that at my age, and I'm speaking specifically for my generation, which is really the first title nine, we're the first ones that benefited from title nine. We did not learn that, right. It was, and, and so it, competition could be a little bit weird. Um, and now I think, you know, athletes of your generation are learning to do that thing where, yes, you play very hard and you compete very hard on the field of play. But then when you walk off the field of play, there's mutual respect and there's friendship and it's supportive um, off the field of play as opposed to, and I'm speaking in a broad generality, but I think that that's important evolution of women's sport is that that lifting each other up instead of just strictly viewing each other as competition is a really important evolution. Um, so yeah. it's cool, you know, again, organizations like you're with uh, fostering that. And yeah, that's super cool. But I, I always sort of admired that about what I would hear about Jenny's coaching group was that mm-hmm. there was definitely that sense of community of, um, you know, it was a team, uh, yeah. which is cool. Yeah. It is cool. And I, I think it's, you know, something that, I've missed a little bit in cycling from rowing that having that like built in team. Um, so that's why it was really fun to get to know, you know, not only Elspeth, but also, you know, Kim Zubris and Jess Strong and kind of have this little, you know, group of, of women who, you know, were so generous and like giving me tips and, you know, teaching me things. And then also right. Competing really hard. Um, it's funny. You were talking about, you know, Elspeth's win in the national championship and I was, you know, kind of behind in the pack and, almost like was forgetting to sprint because I saw her winning and I was like so excited for her. I was like, Oh my gosh, it's happening. She's and, doing it, yeah. and it was like, not, I was like, Oh, I'm still like in the race and have to, you know, 
remember to like keep pedaling. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that's something that I hope that I, you know, always value and I'm, I'm sure that I will, but like something I just, I love the community that sport can bring. And, and I hope to continue to be, you know, both a humble competitor and someone who continues to lift women up around me, because, you know, I think to a certain extent that's still, you know, in the community is that like, there's not enough room for all of us, or there's only, you know, space for one woman or only funding for, you know, this kind of, you know, stuff that gets, that gets in the way. And I think that, you know, I, heard this, this great, like Abby Wambach quote, which is like, there's not room at the table, just like build your own table. And, you know, I, I love all the women I've met, you know, including you like through sport. And I, I just, I love what, what sport can do in terms of, you know, lifting women up. So hope to keep doing that. Yeah. And, and I mean, it just, and it's for life too, right? I mean, I'm still so close friends with my, my teammates that I've raced with over the years. Like those friendships go back to my very first year of racing bikes, like way back now. So it was like going back to T-Town and reconnecting with like Cheryl Osborne, who is the person who taught me how to race bikes. You know, it's just one of those, it's one of those things where that, that teammate bond or that, that connection, you know, I, I feel like I have everywhere I've lived and I've lived in a lot of places weirdly enough, everywhere I've lived, it's been, um, it's been, you know, you've made these teammate friends through sport that really endure. Um, and, and that's pretty cool. My the first team I raced for way back when I was just messaging with her on Facebook and she's like, when this COVID stuff is over, we have to plan, you Aww. know, plan a, plan a visit. And I was like, literally like she's, I've lived all over since we raced together and she's lived in London. She's in Texas now. And yet still we have this bond that was created through racing bikes together. And, I think that's just amazing that it's like, it just does last forever. It bonds you together in a way that, that, you know, I don't, I don't think a lot of other things do because you're sort of in the trenches together. And when you do scary things together, sometimes it's, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you have an appreciation you have triumph together and tears, right? Like, it, and it just bonds you. So it's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. I want to plug while we're talking about community um, that for the last two years at T-Town, I have stayed with the Verma family and them, like they have become like my family, you know, we exchanged Christmas cards this year and, you know, Divic just got into Dartmouth and it was so like, they texted me about it and it was so great to hear. Um, I think, you know, obviously, you know, you know this, but um, having that, like being able to live with them for the summer makes a huge difference in terms of the cost and being able to come out and race. Um, so just like shout out to the T-Town community and them, especially for what they're able to do in terms of supporting riders and also just, you know, love to them because they're like my, my, you know, home away from home. Um, I think that's been honestly the hardest part for me about bike racing so far is like, I didn't know how much travel there was going to (laughs) be and being away from home and being away from my husband and like, you know, kind of my space has been really difficult, but, um, being with them has been such a joy and, and I feel so lucky that they kind of took me in. They are lovely humans, all of them, which is, a which is, you know, a nice thing to be able to say is like, there are some really great people in that community. And, and, uh, yeah, I think you landed with a, you landed with some of the really good ones, that's for sure. Um, but there are lots of, there are lots of people in that community that, 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 become family with the racers and that's cool and and I'm hopeful that fingers crossed that 22 we start to see things like more international riders coming back 
because all those international libraries have forged those relationships too. And so, you know, they've, I think that's what's made T-Town so sort of amazing over the years is that, you know, these families take in riders year after year and, um, you know, they, they forge a bond and it, it is like a lot of, for a lot of athletes, like coming home to the home or second home because of that uh, really lovely community piece. So, uh, and that's cool about Divic. Yeah. Super cool. Always knew he was a smart kid. <laughs> <laughs> so that's very cool. Yay. Congratulations, Divic, if you're listening. We'll <laughs> study hard. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's super cool. Uh, is he going to, do you, is he going to go pre-med like his, like his, uh, like his family? Uh, I was joking. I texted him that. I was like, oh, like the next Dr. Verma. So I think, I don't, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got good role. He's got good role models if, if that's what he wants to choose to do. So what else is exciting? What are you gonna do for New Year's Eve, Skyler? Um, I am you can check out my baking Instagram. I'm kind of like a an amateur baker. Um I love baking and I love that it's my hobby that's truly a hobby. Like sometimes bike racing feels like not a hobby anymore. Um so I love baking. Um, and so I'm going to make this fancy kind of like pavlova, which is basically like a meringue with grapefruit curd in it and some like fancy cream. And we're going to have a little dinner at our friend's house. So nothing too crazy. Um, but, um, I have an FTP test on Saturday morning. So you're not going to eat a lot of your pavlova. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go crazy and get drunk and stay up until midnight. That sounds wise. Or else, you know, <laughs> FTP will be a little low. Uh, side sidebar: You should check out um, Maura Butel's baking. So Maura normally sits in on the pods as well, but since we're on West Coast time and she's on East Coast time, and yes. technically she's on vacation this week, um, I did not recruit Maura into the pod this week. However, she is quite the accomplished baker. So when oh. you're back in T town, you'll have to compare notes with her because uh, <laughs> Maura Maura can. Uh, whip up a mean confection herself so shout out to Maura and she's when she's listening to the, when she's going through the transcript of this podcast she'll know <laughs> that I've given her the shout outs for all of her, Hi, delicious, con, her delicious confectionery as well so uh, <laughs> you'll have to you'll have to compare notes when you're back she'll be she'll be thrilled to talk baking with someone uh, <laughs> but that sounds like a lovely uh quiet quiet calm sane New Year's Eve I will do the same I'll probably be asleep by nine o'clock because I'm not not going to be crazy going to go out myself tomorrow for my my new year's eve good times because boy do i know how to have a good time is two and a half hours of tempo and uh <laughs> then after that i'm yeah i'll probably be done for the day that's it two and a half hours of tempo and then i'll be ready for sleep by nine o'clock and uh, <laughs> meet the new year same as the old years that's my motto yeah. for 22 meet the new year same as the old year um but Skylar, it's been a delight. Is there anything else you'd like to tell our uh, our listeners, things for the show notes, things where they can uh, either follow along like your Instagram handle or uh, information about the Strong Girls United Foundation? Tell our listeners where they should find out more about the cool stuff you're doing. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun. Um, as advertised, it was very fun and not scary. Um, <laughs> I promise. <laughs> um, I, you can find me on Instagram at Skylar.Espinoza with two A's. Um, if you want to follow my baking Instagram, it's at stick of butter, B-U-T-T-A-H. 
Yes. Um, and then at strong girls United, all one word is also linked in my bio. Um, so you can kind of check us out there. Um, and you know, if you're a female athlete, especially in college or, you know, fresh out of college and you want to serve as a mentor for us next year, um, that'd be a great way to kind of get back and get involved. Um, and then, um, anything else? I don't think so. Um, I just, you know, also plug for try the track. It's very fun. Um, everyone should try it and you will love it guaranteed. Um, you know, getting more people riding bikes is always super fun and, and it makes more fun for everybody. The more people we have racing. So, and 50, 50 and 50, there you go. 50% yes. female participation. All right. So you're going to have to send tomorrow for the show notes the recipe for your confection for new year's eve your pavlova and so we will include your recipe skylar's recipe <laughs> with a link to your baking page so you best post photos um, of of what your confection looks like and we will put the recipe for it in the show notes so you are now on the hook you have homework skylar <laughs> so our our listeners will know what what you're talking about here and uh with that i will let you go and wish you a very happy and successful new year and i'm sure we will cross paths uh and i hope to do some bike riding with you this year because now we live like what 45 minutes apart yeah. um yes. so let's ride bikes i would and love that and happy new year. Happy new year. Thank you so much, Joan. <laughs> this has been the Talk of the T-Town podcast with our guest, Skylar Samuelson Espinoza. If you like us, please give us the thumbs up, the hearts, the stars, uh, wherever you consume your podcast of choice. It helps us grow the audience and keep the pod going. Thanks so much for listening. Happy new year. Thank you for listening. This has been the Talk of the T-Town podcast. I'm your host, Joan Hanscom. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode. Head over to our website at thevelodrome.com where you can check out the show notes and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.